pretty excited about being able to <clears throat> launch into this year um, in a study of Scripture, and we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians uh, over the next number of weeks. And uh, the book of Philippians is just like loaded. But let me give you a little historical backdrop. Um, most of the early church, matter of fact, the early church unanimously agreed that it was Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the believers at Philippi. And uh, at the end of chapter 2, Paul points towards this letter being written toward the end of his two-year Roman imprisonment, which would have been about A.D. 61. So that's about, what, 27, eight years after Christ uh, died, resurrected, and ascended. And so to understand Paul's deep love for this church at Philippi, it's important to know the backstory because this church began years earlier on Paul's first or um, missionary journey, or second missionary journey. And uh, it was the first church that Paul founded in Europe, okay? And Paul and Barnabas, uh, who went with Paul on the first journey, had a sharp disagreement concerning this second journey. And the disagreement was whether they wanted to take with them John Mark. So those two guys parted ways. Um, Barnabas went to Cyprus with John Mark, and Paul chose Silas to go with him on this second missionary journey. And Paul's heart was, I want to go back and visit all of the churches that I have relationship with, and some of which he established on the first journey. So the second missionary journey starts in Jerusalem. Let's take a look at the map here, okay? It starts in Jerusalem. You see down on the right lower corner, you have Jerusalem. It went north up to Antioch, went around through Tarsus, Lystra, Iconium, and wound up right in the top center. Don't have my laser. Where is it when you need it, right? I searched for an hour yesterday, or last two days ago for my laser. But hopefully you spot it, kind of up in the middle. Um, Neapolis, and then you see Philippi, just above it and to a little bit uh, to the left, Okay. And then you see the green track where he comes on down around to Athens, Corinth, then across the sea to Ephesus and back to Caesarea. This was Paul's second missionary journey. So I thought it might be helpful to us to contextualize, say, what precipitated this? And I want us to go to Acts chapter 16, 9 through 12. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, this is in a dream. 
And when he had seen the vision, immediately he said, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. Philippi is about 10 miles inland. Um, several of us, um, we, were, we were on a tour to Greece here in 2018. And so we actually got to be here right on location, which was kind of cool because you read all these scriptures and, and we got to be at all over Greece, all the places that Paul, um, that is identified in scripture where Paul was at. We got to be in all those very uh, community and in those communities. But I remember specifically about Philippi being about just 10 miles inland, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Now, what's unique about Philippi, it's a Roman colony. And Paul said, when we were staying in this city for some days, this is what Luke, the writer um, of the book of Acts, was recording. Now, let's take a look at a map there of uh, Kavala is the green, or is the red dot at the very top, okay? So there is, it's, I think it's Kavala is what it's, uh, is more properly pronounced. Now let's do the next slide. And so there's Kavala. And then right there where the arrow, the end of the arrow is a little town, a little spot, a place called Lydia, but it's really, it's where, it's Philippi. Now, <clears throat> Philippi was named after King Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. And... Uh, so the people were all Romans. They spoke Latin as it was a Roman colony. Here's something interesting that we'll note in as we go through the book of Philippians is that Paul never once referred to the Old Testament scriptures. And I ask, why? The answer is simple, because there were no Jewish believers in Philippi. In his other letters, you had a mix. Like Ephesus, you had both Jews and Greeks there. So for the sake of the Jews, Paul would refer to some of the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, Because the Jews had familiarity with Old Testament scriptures. Um, whether they were really followers of God or not was maybe a different story. But at least they were, they were familiar with. But in, in, in Philippi, there, there, there were very few, if any, Jews. It was a Roman colony. And so Paul never, ever refers to the Old Testament scriptures, which is like totally unlike Paul. Well, but it was for good reason, because um, there were no Jews that would have been familiar with the Old Testament. And there wasn't even enough Jewish men to begin a synagogue, because as to the custom of Jewish tradition, there needed to be, and I don't remember the numbers now, a certain number of men to start the, um, to form a synagogue. So next slide there is Kavala. And uh, <clears throat> we drove right through this. See that ancient aqueduct? We actually, the next slide is a slide I took. 
and we drove right under the arches of the ancient aqueduct. Isn't that amazing? Architecture. Oh my goodness, look how high it is. But this is right down by, right near the sea. And then we went 10 miles out and we looked at the ancient city of Philippi. Here's some of the ruins of the ancient city of Philippi. It was a very, very prosperous city. Actually, the reason for the ruins is because there was an earthquake in about, I believe it was 600 AD. So several hundred years after the story of, in scripture was an earthquake and it knocked it all down. And so you have just a few columns still. Those are still remaining. The, um, and, and it's like amazing how, how did those uh, stay upright. And, but there were numerous ones, as you can see in the background. Oh, we got the, we didn't use it, but this is an ancient bathroom. And so we got to then go to the theater. And the theater is up on the hillside from the city. It was down in kind of a flat area. And this theater would seat between thirteen and 14,000 people. Beginning in the 1990s, there's a group that has an annual music festival right here in this theater. So it's become popular, and people from all over Europe and such, uh, they say, come to this uh, event, this amazing musical event. So if we go back to Acts 16 now, the story unfolds. Paul is in Philippi, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside. And we're supposing that there would be a place of prayer and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Somehow or another, they got word that there were some very spiritual-minded ladies who would gather outside of the city in this more private place to pray. And so, verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics. She was a, also a worshiper of God, and she was there listening. And the Lord opened her heart to receive the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, Will you come to my house and just and stay? And, and 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 the scriptures say, and this is Luke the writer say, she prevailed upon us. She insisted. We got to be at that spot, and it's a historic spot where Lydia was baptized. There's the river. It's a little dark down there. It was really shadowy. But then we go to the next slide, and we are now down at this stream where the saints would come to meet and they would come to pray and it was there that she was baptized just outside of the city of Philippi. The next slide is that they've built a um, baptismal here, this church, and it's right there by the, just like, uh, it's, it's about 150 feet away from the river's edge. There's a shot of it inside 
and you see the little baptismal fountain there. It's a very, very beautiful place. It's a very special place because it's all tied directly to biblical history um, or history that we see here revealed in Scripture. So Paul and Silas were staying at her house, it's supposed, since she extended such an invitation. And uh, so they would move about in the city. And in Acts 16, let's go to verse, Acts 16, verse 16. One day it happened as we were going to a place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So I ask, was she correct? Okay. So here she is giving a prophetic utterance and declaration about Paul, Silas, and all of their team. And yet, it is not the Spirit of Christ that's motivating her. It is actually a demonic presence within the girl. See, even demons can recognize Christ and Christ at work. And so, Paul, it says, was troubled by this. And he's hearing her say the right things, but something internally within him, he's going, this is not, there's something about this that's not right. And this is where one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read of in 1 Corinthians 12, it's called discerning of spirits, come in, came into play. Now, discerning of spirits, remember that's, remember that's plural. So there's the human spirit, there's Holy Spirit, and then there can be demonic spirits, right? So <clears throat> she continued in verse 18, doing this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it, it, the spirit, the demon came out at that very moment. Some of you have some experience in this kind of uh, encounter and deliverance, and it is just plain needed at times. It's something that I've participated in quite a, a number of times over years. And uh, so the girl became absolutely liberated by the Spirit of Christ because here she was, um, being used, and, and several things were going on. One, she was being manipulated and used by her masters. She was a slave girl, okay? And because she could go and foretell things, then people would, would pay and give the masters money. And in this case, um, that didn't work. So verse 19, the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. 
and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Okay? What they didn't understand that, one, Paul actually was a citizen of Rome. He actually was a Roman. But he was a Jew, and so all they understood is that these were Jews who had embraced Christ as the Messiah. Okay? So, verse 19. Verse 19. When their masters... Okay. And so, verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison and commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here's a photo of the actual prison. We were there. These are my photos. To the right, on a lower level, is where all of the ruins are of the main city. This now is up the hill, and if we were to continue up the hill and to the right is where the theater was, okay? So we are looking at the prison. Let's take the next shot. We're going to get up a little closer. There's a couple of our teams, a couple of our friends. Uh, Matter of fact, the one at the top is our good friend Harold Eberle. He went with us on this trip, and I think that's Harold there. He's peering into this prison. And we go one more photo, and there we are up close to the prison. All the historians say that this, in fact, is the actual prison of this ancient city of Philippi. I understand that inside, they would not allow us to go inside. They want to preserve it, but they literally have the stocks, the chains and such are all still in place after all of these years. So Paul and Silas, now there's a story. Some of you remember the story, right? It was about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's chains were unfastened. So when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. In other words, he figured, I might as well kill myself because, man... He says, when, when, when the, uh, the head leaders uh, that I work for find out that these guys have escaped under my watch, I mean, they're, they're going to kill me. So let's just get it over with now. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because <laughs> he had been hearing them preached the gospel of Christ Jesus. He's like, I don't know, whatever you guys have, there's something unique about you guys. You know, you're, you are preserved. You didn't flee. You didn't escape. What must I do to be saved? Well, verse 40 says, as they went out of the prison, they entered the house of Lydia and they saw the prison. Uh, they encouraged them and departed. I didn't read all the other 10 verses, though. The story is really cool. They go to the jailer, and his whole household embraces Christ as Lord of their lives, and they're baptized. So here we have a bit of the background and the beginnings of Paul's relationship with 
Philippi and the believers of Philippi. And I think this has relevance because as we walk through this book, and we're going to go read through every verse and um, over the next several weeks here, I think it will um, be a blessing to us. Some of us and who, who have had some like church background would find some of these scriptures familiar. And some of these are some favorite verses. Having been a kid who grew up in church uh, myself, um, I remember all these verses and memorized all of these, actually, that I'm going to share with you. And, and these are familiar probably to at least some of us in the, in the room. Here's a scripture, and we'll look at this one next week in particular, and there's some really cool things that we're going to get to talk about uh, um, in, in this scripture passage next week. But he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Isn't that an encouraging word? Yeah, I mean, I mean, isn't that amazing? Who began it? He began it. It was his idea. He chose us before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1. He chose us. This was all his idea. He's the one that had every person in mind. He began the good work. All we do, all that's necessary for us to experience the salvation of the Lord is simply say, yes. Yes, I believe. And we, we cooperate. We, we, it's this divine privilege and partnership. Philippians 1.27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Philippians 2 in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness esteem others better than himself. Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You notice it didn't say some, it says every. That's interesting, isn't it? Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Oh, I love this one too. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, we're privileged to live on earth, but our ultimate, most glorious citizenship is forever with the Lord. Uh, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, not according to our ability. You notice that? We'll talk more about that when we get to that chapter. So the question is, why should we take time to look at, to dig in a little bit to the book of Philippians. Um, what is this, what could it mean to us? Well, since all scripture is inspired by God, uh, any biblical text will bring appropriate benefit as we give ourselves time to, uh, to come to realization, to understanding of any text. And Philippians carries a lot of wisdom and I think a lot of counsel for living today, 2023. There's so much counsel. If you think about this, the counsel of the Lord 
There are principles of truth of the counsel of the Lord that are eternal in nature, and so they are relevant to any period of time in and among humanity. They're always relevant. Now, following are some key points for us to know, and I'm just going to share this as a bit of an overview today, and then next week, we literally will we'll, we'll, we'll just dig in and go through verse by verse. But here's some key points. The first is, know our destiny and belonging. These are key points for us to know, to really get embedded in us, not just have some kind of an intellectual understanding of, but for us to be able to, to assimilate into the very core of our being, to understand our ontology. See, who we are at the core and how we act or live sometimes isn't always synchronized. But Christ within us, by his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, at the very core, he looks at us as beautiful and, and as saints belonging to him as we've embraced Christ as Lord of our lives. Sometimes we don't always act like who we really are at the core of our being. So what we want is the truth of our being to become the way of our being. We, we want this to work out in practical application of our lives. Have you ever found yourself and you realize of this precious relationship that you have with God internally and yet something externally or something about you, your thinking or maybe a certain behavior or in an incident, you're going, boy, that's just like totally inconsistent with where I am in, inside. We are kids and we're in process, guys. And the enemy of our soul wants to bring condemnation in those moments. And sometimes other people want to jump on board too and say, yeah, you're a hypocrite. And so sometimes it's not because we're intentionally trying to fool anybody. We're a work in process. That's why that scripture is so meaningful to me, is that he who has begun a good work will what? Help me out. Will complete it or it will bring us to maturity. And we need to remind ourselves of that so we stay hopeful. So when we mess up and screw up along the ways, it's not because we're phonies or hypocrites. I honestly have met very few people that I would say is just kind of a blatant religious hypocrite. Most everybody that I have ever known and ever met and have ever spent time with, and maybe who have had some deep struggles but would say I'm a Christian, it's, it, it's because they, like myself, we are work in process. We're real pieces of work. Yeah. And when we look at each other, we see inconsistencies, we hear inconsistencies, and sometimes that can cause us to form opinions about one another that aren't really accurate of who we are at the core. We need to cut each other a little slack and recognize we're all in process. We're beautiful works in process. There was a little song, I don't know where, I think it was, Gaithers, some of you older generation are familiar with the Bill Gaither trio thing. 
But wasn't there a little song they did once? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Did I just make that one up or is that? That's a real song, right? Angie, do you remember that one? Way back when we were little. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but it's true. He's still working on me. Yeah. So when you get that kind of that look from somebody else like, how could you? Just smile and begin to sing. He's still working on me. And we need to remind each other that we're all a beautiful work in process. That's reality. So we need to know our destiny, our belonging. And in, the, in, in this scripture here, in Philippians 1, and we'll look at it next week, 3 through 26, Paul shows us the dramatic power of the prayerful certainty of God's perspective on our lives. God's perspective is the standard by which we measure our lives. It's not my perspective or the expectations of other people around me that I should be most concerned with. What I really want is to know my Father in heaven and to know his mercy and his goodness and his graciousness towards me. That's, just, that's what gives me hope. That's what keeps me anchored. It's interesting that though in prison, when Paul is writing this letter, um, it was not a place of ease for Apostle Paul, but he is leaning while in prison for two years in Rome, he's writing this letter and he's filled with joy. And he's telling everybody else, look, you guys ought to rejoice in the Lord and you should do it always. How's Paul pull this off? He's gone through all kinds of beatings and shipwrecks and all kinds of difficult things, beaten and left for dead in one occasion. And yet Paul leans continually. He's leaning into the heart of God. He recognizes he's a work in process. And he's, his, his greatest desire is to stay in the flow of the divine life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's his greatest passion and his greatest desire. And Paul never presents himself as one who had it all together. If you go back and read in the book of Romans, he shares quite candidly Romans 6, 7, and 8. And he basically says, you know, sometimes I want to sin, but then I really don't want to sin. And he said, I have this struggle. There's this warring going on in me. In the very inner core of my being that's formed in Christ, and yet I find myself under the influence of lies of the enemy and of the spirit of the world, and I find myself thinking and saying and doing things that really don't align with the real heart of Christ. So he says, this is like this war that goes on inside of me. Well, here in Philippians then, he gives us, some hope, and that is that we are a beautiful work in process. And he says, don't sweat it, guys. The one who began a good work in you, he will bring it to maturity. I find great hope in that. Because I've been very disappointed in myself many times. Disappointed in me. Yeah, It's one thing to be disappointed in someone else when somebody else doesn't measure up but I've been disappointed in me. Anybody else relate with that? Two of us, yeah. Three. Yes, I see that hand. I'm feeling more hopeful all along the way. I'm in good company. Yeah, 
I've been disappointed in me. Being disappointed in me sometimes is much greater and more heavy and weighty than being disappointed in somebody else. Then I have to remind myself, okay, God's mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient. This reaction, this non-Christ-like response um, to circumstance or this thinking of mine that is not on, it's not on course, it's not coming out of the heart of Christ, it's being influenced by lies of the evil one or <coughs> the influence of the world around me, then I have to remind myself that I am a work in process that I can come back to him and uh, keep, or, you know, just realign my heart and know that he will bring me to completion. So Paul is confident that the God who created him and captured his heart will bring him a place to maturity and keep him in this perpetual motion of grace and the beautiful flow of life from glory to glory. And it's not the point, it's not from one point of achievement to another in a performance um, uh, mode. It's, it, there's a beautiful, it's a waves of glory. There's ups and there's downs. Well, the second thing that we'll focus on as we move through these chapters is knowing our value and worth. Strange thought? Well, not for Paul. He urged the Philippians to know what a worthy life looks like. And when you live out the life of a subversive proclamation that there's a new king and that there's a new way of living available for the world, you sleep better at night. You have purpose in life. We'll get into that at the latter part of chapter one. Another area that Paul touches on is knowing how to think and love. How to think and how to love. Maybe some of our greatest challenge in life. All of our activity in life, all of our behavior, all of our interactions with other people comes back to patterns of thought, how we think, and attitude of the heart. And so all the beauty that happens in the context of relationships is because of the beauty of Christ and the attitude of the inner man and good, healthy thinking. And the actions and reactions along the way, relationally in life, or reactions about circumstances in life that may be very unhealthy, and that can get us into the ditch, have everything to do with how we think. How we think and our divine connection with the love of our hearts, Christ Jesus, has everything to do with how we live out this love walk. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at knowing the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> actually, Philippians has one of the most powerful paragraphs in all of Paul's writings that show us the way um, of Jesus in his thinking and how he lived. And we're going to take a little time in, the, in this one little passage and try to identify because Jesus is our example, right? Our whole goal in life is to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. That's our highest priority in life. I know, practically speaking, when it comes to family life and business and work, 
we have certain things that we set goals for and we work towards, and all of that's really cool. But the, the, the most highest priority that in the midst of all the other activities of life, that, that actually Christ is being formed within us. And somehow I really believe that, that if we can catch more fully in 2023 the nature and the heart of Christ that has, that is actually, at least in seed form, is within us, when we're born of the Spirit, it's there in seed form, it's incorruptible seed, and it just needs the right kind of conditions to where it begins to spring forth and bring and bring forth much fruit. We'll be looking at that. Chapter 2, we're going to be looking at this area of knowing how to live out our salvation. How to live out of our salvation, but also how to walk it out. Because it's progressive. And that's why Paul uses the word about working out your salvation. You don't work for salvation. It's a gift. But when we embrace Christ and experience the life eternal, the living presence of Christ, we learn how to stay in step with the Spirit. And uh, Paul gives us some insight as to how this intimate connection with God can, can develop in our lives. Ah, here's one of my favorite of the whole book. Um, and that is, know how to assess our, assess our past and embrace our future. Honestly, this is really a tough one for many, many people. How to appropriately assess your past. Some of us, it would be my guess, anyhow, maybe struggle with this along the way. It keeps popping up. How do I deal with the past? Unfortunate situations, mistakes along the way. And then things pop up, and, and it can be very haunting. It can be um, maybe even embarrassing, etc. Okay, But how to assess the past and embrace our future. If we can't assess our past appropriately, we have a hard time embracing Christ in the present and having hope and moving forward successfully into the future. This is really a big deal right here. And, and sometimes when I've been in conversation um, with someone and someone's like, man, I just don't have a clue where I'm at and where I'm going in life and this keeps popping up. And often it's connected to this not knowing how to appropriately work through past junk, bad stuff, stuff that actually happens to us sometimes. Not that we did anything wrong, but stuff that just has happened. Stuff happens. And, and, and maybe in some cases, our negative or our, our inappropriate reaction, or maybe something that we plain did ourselves and initiated. So this is an interesting one, and, and, and we will talk about it. You understand, Paul had to work through this. Paul didn't have a rosy past. <laughs> now here he is going around, and he's preaching the good news of Christ and this loving Savior and all that. But Paul, in his prior life, he was a religious zealot who was having Christians persecuted and killed. And then he has this encounter, Acts chapter 9, this encounter that has rocked his world, okay? So he had to deal with the past. As a matter of fact, after 
he has this encounter with God and experiences the salvation of the Lord, there were a lot of Christians that were afraid of him and stiff-armed him. They didn't want anything to do with him. We can't trust this guy. He had my cousin killed. I'm not getting close to this guy. I don't trust anything about him. I don't have an ear to hear anything that he has to say. That's what Paul faced. And there was all kinds of reactions. And so Paul had to work through not only dealing with the shame and the guilt in his own heart, but how do you deal with all of these reactions of other people don't trust you because of his past? And so he also had some great accomplishments too as a Jew. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, we'll look at that later. And so um, he had to deal with this, not coming across in a braggadocious way uh, or living and floundering in shame. But anyhow, we'll take a look at it. And I think it could be very helpful for all of us and maybe especially pertinent for some of us in the next few weeks when we get to this, because there may be some of us who actually are struggling in the present about dealing with past stuff. Uh, another area that Paul talks about, and it'd be kind of the latter part of the study, is knowing the value of our friends. This is so huge, isn't it? Knowing the value of our friends. And Paul just gives some expression towards that end in this book that is just so beautiful. And as I was reading through this book, uh, this letter the other day again to refresh myself, read it through a few times, and I'm going like, oh. And, and the, God was just working it in me afresh and in, uh, in a fresh way about the value of friendships and of those who've influenced my life and there are people who have positively influenced my life. They don't even realize the extent of impact they've had on my life. And one of the things that I have done on several occasions, and I actually have some regret that I didn't do the, start doing this a, a decades ago. Because when I was a kid, there were some pe guys, or people, ladies and men in there, you know, who were midlife by that time. And by the time I started realizing the value that they put in my life. Some of them have already died. They passed. They went on to be with Jesus, right? And I was like, I wished I could have shared with them about the influence of their life and how it helped to shape my heart. They befriended me. And sometimes when I was a little kid, they acknowledged me and called me by name. I don't know if you guys realize, we all do. You know how huge that is? to call a child by his or her name. Now imagine all of us doing that, taking the time with all of these little kids here in our house. If all of us, I'm just throwing out something idea. I'm, I'm not trying to lay heavy on us, but can you imagine even taking our, your influence to another level? Getting to know, getting down on a bended knee, sitting down on a chair, engaging with a child, a teenager, knowing their name, remembering their name, and calling them by name from time to time. Um, 
I'm thinking he knows my name. He knows your name. You're not just another little humanoid, one of eight billion. He knows your name. It's powerful. And Paul talks about the value of our friends. Well, guys, this chapter, this final chapter, has so much encouragement and words of admonishment to lift up believers so that we really are responsive in the likeness of Christ Jesus. In our world, in our society, this book of Philippians is relevant for how we understand people in our world. Yes, those who do not understand Christ may at this day not have any interest in Christ, but I think as we absorb some of the eternal truths of Christ, as we walk through this book, it will enable us to better understand and to know the heart of people around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. There's a growing category of nuns, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E-S is in the U.S., and those who claim no religious allegiance at all. It is growing, at, it has been growing at a huge rate in the last 20 years. Rapidly, the percentage has enlarged. Went from like about 30% to 40%. And you know, for some, it's just, ignorance of the possibilities of belonging to Christ. For others, it's because of a misunderstanding of Christ and their exposure or their experience was more about a religious system to which they had to measure up to rather than to see the simplicity and the power of the simple love of Christ Jesus. And so there's been a lot of toxic experiences by many people, and they say, I'm done with it. Sadly, sometimes they are labeled as rebels. But that's not. They are rebelling against religion and religious systems but their heart really would just wish they could know God and who he really is. But outwardly, they may appear. So they're rebelling against a system many times, not against God himself. And so I really believe as we dive into this chapter that we in 2023 can take on some healthier perspectives of Christ Jesus our Lord, how we have been joined together with him and how we can see others in our world around us. I want to encourage you to take your Bible next week, do it on your apps, your phone app, your computer apps or whatever, or pick up the Bible. 
read chapter one two or three times. Would you do that? I mean, we're only talking about a few minutes. And then when we dive into it next week, you'll go, oh yeah, because it's familiar with you. And I think it will help us then kind of move together because I'm not going to spend, you know, like two or three weeks in one chapter. You could, but I think if we can get the overview and you have a greater familiarity, we'll be able to glean more from it. Let's stand up together this morning. I'm so grateful that I get to be a part. Man, I miss being with you. Three full weeks since the last time we met. It's a long time. God, thank you so much for your kindness and goodness. And thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you for my friends here in this house. And I thank you, God, that you have guided us and you've, you've, you've taken our hearts and you've drawn us together. That would be true for most of us here. We're here because of that. And God, we want to grow together with one another and with you in 2023. We don't, we don't want to get 12 months down the road and go, oh, well, that was just another okay year. No, we want to be able to look in the mirror and go, wow, my heart has adjusted. I find myself more Christ-like. My thinking is different. God, let that be said of every one of us over this year that we can truly experience growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be more fruitful, that our lives may better relate to people whose hearts are hungry and searching, not for religious Christianity, but for just a simple reality of the life of Christ. Help us, Lord Jesus. We bless you. And everybody said amen and amen. Go in the peace of the Lord and pray you have just a super, super blessed day and a blessed week, okay? And we'll see you next Sunday morning. All right, bye-bye.